You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office. All right, Greg and Doug Stokes, Lanyap Podcast. It is November the 10th, Friday. Uh, ben, an extremely volatile week, but I just looked and the S&P 500 is at 43.80 right now. On Monday, it was 43.83. So uh, essentially no movement in the markets. We had a, uh, uh, a lot going on this week, though. We had Jay Powell speak uh, at a, it was, I don't even know where he was. It wasn't like a sanctioned committee meeting, but essentially what he said was uh, he's becoming more dovish, at least the market is interpreting that. And he's saying that there, he doesn't, He's not confident that the rate hiking that has occurred to date has uh, done enough to get inflation down, but he views the risk of uh, going too much on a rate hiking from a rate hiking perspective as equal to not enough, which um, that occurred last week, and then the uh, the ten year Treasury went down precipitously. Uh, the Treasury markets moved up, meaning bonds went down yesterday uh, because the uh, U.S. government issued a or had an auction for a 30-year treasury. did not go well. The typical buyers of those auctions are other uh, foreign governments, and uh, there was not a whole lot of demand for treasuries at about 4.7%. They've jumped to about 4.8% before people started picking them up. So there's a couple different competing uh, issues here on the interest rate side. First and foremost, the market believes that a hiking cycle is over and that uh, which will lead to cutting and that you can see that in the Fed futures uh, rates. But at the same time, when the Treasury goes out to auction to, to fund its, uh, its fiscal needs, uh, there's not a whole lot of demand for, for 30-year bonds at 4.8%. Uh, where do you see this, Greg? Well, you're right about the volatility. This past week has been really volatile. Um, the week before that, last the last week was really volatile, but the volatility was the good type of volatility, meaning the markets were actually up. Um, I think last week the markets were up like 6% or something like that. It was a, one of the best weeks we've had in several years. Um, up in, Yesterday the markets were down, but the, if you go back to the preceding week, we were we had like eight straight days or something like that where the market was up. Um, we haven't had um, that good of a period of time, and I think that we were we didn't get nine days because because yesterday was down. But that would have been the first nine day stretch in close to twenty years. So, um, stock markets have been looking pretty good. Um, volatility cuts both ways. Um, in terms of the bond market yields, at about a month ago, got up to five percent. The ten-year Treasury got below four and a half percent this week. It's kind of settled in the mid four point fives. Um, so, and that is, as relates to when yields go down from five percent to four and a half percent, that's a pretty big move, and that means that bond prices go up. So, this last couple of weeks, even though there has been a lot of volatility, it's been a really good week for the stock and the bond markets. As far as what has been the big driver, I, you mentioned and you hit the nail on the head as it relates to the Fed. And that's really been the driver of the markets. If you look at at the whole, there's obviously been a lot of things going on politically, 
geopolitically, et cetera, that have been driving the markets, but the big macro move or big macro driver has been the Fed. And I, I hope that's coming to an end. Um, it's, it, we've, we've talked about this and belabored all of these topics, um, in depth, but, um, the Fed is a, um, has really been the driver and the main topic of a lot of our discussions. And I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to having that in the rearview mirror. Um, I think so you said re- that, I think you said that in January and, uh, you're looking are. forward to, yeah, <laughs> exactly. One, one thing I think that is not being talked about enough. I think everything is fed driven right now, at least from a narrative perspective. But, um, this is from Yuri and Timmer who we quote all the time. He's fidelity's chief economist or strategist or whatever. Um, he says, this is from yesterday, he says the earnings cycle continues to improve with 406 of 500 S&P 500 companies reporting for Q3, 82% beat estimates by an average of 7.61%. That's a typical pattern, but supports the notion that earnings bottomed in Q2, forward earnings estimates continue to grow and are now up 5% year over year. So yes, this is, I think, interest rate driven. I think uh, obviously markets don't like, I mean, I don't think anything that is a risk asset likes higher interest rates um, just because everything is pegged to a risk-free rate. And if you want to earn a return, it's got to be better than the risk-free return. But again, it's. Be- I think a large lot of this is because earnings are improving. And so uh, as the uh, companies are valued as a multiple of earnings the s&p 500 is now trading at uh, just about 17 times next year's expected earnings if earnings continue to improve and if the market stagnates then that earnings multiple becomes 17 becomes 16 becomes 15 which makes the the market um just not not incredibly unattractive uh and we've talked about the difference between stock earnings yield and and bond yield, but the earnings yield just continues to get better. Yeah. I mean, stocks haven't done anything for two years. I think in January of 2022, January of 2022, the S&P 500 was like 4,600 and right now it's 4,350 or whatever. So they really haven't done anything. And the way that I think about the the S&P 500 or any sort of stock index or stocks in general is exactly the way that you're discussing it in terms of over that period of time, Earnings have continued to, to rise, and so the price-to-earnings ratio um, has gone down, essentially. And if earnings continue to, to, to increase, then that, that the valuation of everything gets more attractive. It, as it relates to your, your comment about um, interest rates being the driver of a lot of, of all risk, risk, risk assets, I found this quote to be uh, right on point. This is from Warren Buffett. Interest rates are to asset prices like gravity is to the apple. They power everything in the economic universe. And um, so, it, but uh, on the same token, I, I found it interesting. This is the, this is the, all the baskets of securities in 2023 as it relates to the performance. Um, and seemingly that some of the most interest rate sensitive sectors have done the best this year. So you wouldn't, you, normally you would think like if interest rates are higher, that would probably benefit banks or insurance companies or whatever that make money on when interest rates are higher. Um, but that's been the, the, ex- the exact opposites happened. Um, technology, which is a seemingly a very interest rate sensitive sector is up 40% year to date. Industrials are up 7%. And then basically every other sector is flat or down consumer discretionary materials, energy, 
And then the laggard is consumer staples down 11.7%. A lot of that consumer staples piece is driven by Ozempic, um, strangely enough. I mean, you, it's that I don't know. Um, it, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. Like what's happened to alcohol companies, fast food companies, um, food, any sort of anything related to, uh, cigarettes, any, cigarettes, addictive properties for people is, is down this year. Um, so it's been an interesting market. Um, and, and interestingly enough too, very interest rate sensitive sectors like growth have done pretty well this year. I think that's it, earnings. It's earnings. Think, but what, what about, what about Bitcoin and yeah. cryptocurrency? Bitcoin is up like a hundred percent this year. Yeah. But isn't, I mean, wouldn't you, wouldn't you say that that's because we're, we've staved off at least for now recession. I mean, I think that the narrative coming into this year was that we were entering, a recession i mean last year markets are forward looking right so last year technology which is up 40 percent this year was down 30 something percent last year in anticipation of interest rate hiking at least from my view interest rate hiking pushing us into a recession turns out the economy is a lot more resilient than uh than previously predicted and so maybe maybe the the rebound in technology wasn't really an interest rate uh, reaction. It was more, wait a second. The, the consumer is a lot better than we anticipated. Also, a lot of these technology companies are, have very low amounts of debt. Like Facebook, for example, doesn't have any has zero debt. debt. It, it has right. zero debt. And so, um, you know, and Facebook's up like hundred something percent this year. But, uh, but the interest rates from, from the perspective of, of those companies that, um, don't use leverage to grow is not really impacting their their bottom line specifically if the consumer is strong and still spending money i do think interest rates uh i think i agree with the warren buffett uh quote i just let, went and looked back that s p earnings at the end of 2021 we're we're in entering year two of a, of a drawdown um the market peaked in on J, basically january 1st of 2022 at the end of 2021 2021 earnings per share for the S&P 500 was $206. The index price was 47.66. That is that's over 23 times earnings, 23.2 times earnings at the end of 2021. Essentially no growth for the last 2 years in the S&P, but earnings have continued to improve. Uh, the forward earnings estimate is at about 240 a little north of $240 a share. That puts us at 17 times earnings next year. So if you look at it from the perspective of how much multiple contraction has occurred in the last two years, we've gone from 23 times to 17 times. It's like a 30% contraction in multiples. Um, so it's pretty amazing. The same, if we, yeah, if we have the same thing occur next year and, and earnings improve, then multiples will continue to contract further. So you can have a period where the S&P does nothing, which essentially has occurred for the last two years. It can continue to do nothing for next year. You don't need a crash or anything like that to get reasonable prices. You just have earnings continue to grow and prices stagnate, which has essentially been the case. Yep. Uh, it is really interesting. Um, and we've got a lot of interesting things on the, on this sort of docket as it relates to what can drive prices. We have a, we're about a year away from a presidential election, um, which the, there's always volatility related to that. I remember the 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 a great example of the volatility that surrounds a presidential election occurred when uh, Trump was elected. 
I think that night, for example, was such a big surprise that the S&P 500 futures were down like 10%. And then when the market opened, they ended up being up 10% in one particular day. So there's going to be a lot of different things that drive the market. But under the, under the hood, basically, the markets have been earning, have been, companies have been uh, earning money and increasing their earnings. So the, the sort of fundamentals are looking good, like you're saying, and, and everything's set, setting up really nicely. And then the other thing, too, is that on the other side of the equation, on bonds, yields have gone up so dramatically that if you look at this from a, it's it's been sort of a crummy market for anyone who's owned bonds, but prospectively, the returns on bonds look way better than they did. So they're on both sides of the equation, on the stock market side, things are looking really good relative to earnings on a valuation basis because prices haven't done anything. They've actually gone down over the last couple of years, but earnings have gone up. And on the bond side of the equation, bond yields have gone up so dramatically that you know that you're going to buy a 10-year treasury, for example. You know that you're going to get 4.58% or whatever for the next 10 years versus two years ago, you probably would have gotten, I don't know what the 10-year treasury was at that point in time, but maybe 1.5% or something like that. So you've got your prospectively your return should be a lot higher on the bond side of the equation and the and we know that's going to happen and the stock side of the equation is looking really good essentially yeah it, it turns out then when in periods of low returns it essentially sets up for prospective periods of high returns and this is what uh you know, ben carlson wrote this article basically said it it's, talks about the 60 40 portfolio which is your traditional balanced account and the worst years on record, 2022, he calls it the Great Inflation, was the third worst year uh, on record for a 60-40 portfolio. That's your traditional retirees type portfolio, uh, worse than 2008. I mean, the in the during the Great Financial Crisis, uh, 2008, your 60-40 portfolio was down 13.9 uh, percent. 2022, the 60-40 portfolio is down 17.9%. Um, so there was no benefit to diversification last year. What does that mean on a go-forward basis? Uh, bonds offer diversification now that uh, rates are at 5%. And so uh, prospective investors should look at a balanced account uh, with a positive uh, perspective uh, going forward just simply uh, because rates are higher. Yeah, I mean it's it is really crazy when we've we have traditionally run retirement cash flow analyses or asset accumulation analyses at at uh, various rates of return, assumed rates of return, and historically those would be like three, four, and five percent. Meaning, like if you earn three percent off of your portfolio and you're trying to retire at age sixty five, um, how what do you, what do you basically need to save, and is that viable um, over the course of a lifetime? In order to get 3% back in the day, when bonds were paying basically nothing, you still had to have some equity exposure in your portfolio. Now you can buy a treasury that's paying 4.5% for 10 years or a, or a 30-year treasury that's paying close to 5% and achieve all of those objectives, um, all these those assumed rate of return objectives. And so now from a planning standpoint, our uh, planning analyses were – we can assume a higher rate of return prospectively because of the guaranteed rates of return on treasuries and bonds is a lot higher. So you're right. The glass, the glass is now, I'm looking at this from, from a glass half full situation. These past two ish years or whatever, past three years in the bond market, we're, we're coming off the, the, the worst bond market in the history of the country going back from the revolutionary war. 
we've never had three consecutive years of neg- negative bond returns. And we're in that, in the midst of that right now. But from a prospective standpoint, things look uh, really nice. Um, and it makes our job from a planning perspective conceivably easier because we know bond, bond returns are going to be X, which are right now is four and a half percent or 5%, depending upon the duration. And then historically stocks have outperformed bonds. You get a risk premium for owning, uh, stocks over bonds historically. Um, so conceivably stock returns should be higher than that. And thus, if you have a blended mix of stocks and bonds, things should, should be pretty good prospectively. Obviously nobody knows, but again, this is all setting this, the, this, the, the calamity or whatever that's occurred in the bond market specifically and the lack of returns in the, uh, Stock market has really set the stage for uh, a prospective nice period of time. Um, Whether or not that stage is going to be, um, that's going to be fulfilled is obviously a a, a TBD, but it it is set basically nicely. Yeah. You know what? I I saw something this week that these types of things really pissed me off. This was a a Yahoo Finance article about, and the biggest uh, market related or economic related news story the last quarter at least is the the level of debt uh that the both the federal government have and households have this was yahoo finance uh on tuesday they said credit card debt surged again during the third quarter and and so did number of people missing payments credit card balances rose by 48 billion in the third quarter to a record high of 1.08 trillion according to data released Whoa. Tuesday by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. <laughs> and then uh, and then you go back and look, okay, that th- you're looking at this, number one, on a nominal basis versus an inflation-adjusted basis. And then uh, this was posted by, uh, by eToro, which is credit card debt as a percent of total deposits. It's currently at 6.1%. In 2003, credit card debt as a percent of total deposits was 12%. In 2019, it was close to 7%. So we're at a, we're at a historic low. Now, 2020 and 2021, when there was this massive stimulus package from the federal government, got down, looks like, just below 5% as a percent of total, total deposits. But we're still at historic lows and well below where we were pre-pandemic as a debt as a percentage of total deposits the another uh, uh item or you know headline that people have been grabbing at is just the level of debt that we have i think we're at 33 trillion dollars of total public debt which uh is is a unfathomable amount of money and and significantly higher than where we were pre-pandemic but then i just went and looked at okay what what about the asset side of the equation uh household net worth uh, and the level of household net worth, where where was it in um, Q4 of 2019 before the pandemic? Household net worth was at $110 trillion. Uh, and right now, Q2 2023, this is from the uh, St. Louis Fed, $146 trillion. It's higher than it was in the first quarter of 2022. And so uh, households have never been better off. Debt service payments as a percentage of deposits uh, and as a percentage of income, are still at, at uh, historic lows. If you, you know, don't count twenty twenty one, you know it's credit card debt as a percentage of deposits extraordinary low. So when you hear these debt things, 
you don't think about, okay, what about the other side of the equation, either the income or the asset side? And, uh, and all of that is pointing towards positive for households and positive for, uh, just the public in general. Right. You should basically, if you hear the word in a headline, something surges to, you know, whatever that you should, you should basically automatically turn away from that headline because it's, you're not getting the full story and it's, that's just clickbait, fear mongering stuff. Yeah, I mean, this is this is on Yahoo Finance right now. It's a, it's a, the the headline at the top of Yahoo Finance: A black swan investor warns of the biggest debt bubble in history and predicts the Fed's efforts will end in disaster. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, whatever. Yeah, yeah they may be right eventually. <laughs> I mean, that's what happens is eventually these guys are right, and then they go back, and that's their one prediction or whatever. Um, but they like like the saying is a broken clock is uh, right uh, twice a day. You know, so. And, and and the same thing goes. This, these are these individuals that make these prognostications. You know, they make dozens of them, and and uh, one sticks or whatever, and then they 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 uh, harken back on that when they're marketing themselves prospectively. Well, it's like that. Uh, it's uh, sorry, it's like that uh, Ben Carlson article from uh, was this last week? I don't think we talked about it on last week's podcast, and, and I want to pull it up. But um, while you're just, doing that, I'll, I'm yeah. going to reference the, these are. This is the same. The same uh, prognostications that are that are proven wrong time and time again, um, but this is for this the price of the bar- a price of a barrel oil went from like ninety dollars or something like that to seventy five dollars over the last two weeks, which is also like a very positive thing from a um, an economic uh, tailwind standpoint because people are going to be spending less money on on filling their gas tank and more on goods and services, which should can go to corporate corporations earnings and benefits shareholders of those corporations, et cetera. But this is from September 25th, 2023 oil prices keep rising. Experts see hundred dollar a barrel oil. Oil could hit a hundred dollars a barrel by if OPEX plus sticks to their supply cuts. Goldman Sachs expert says hundred dollar oil. JP Morgan's energy guru warns oil is headed to $100. New York times oil prices on March towards $100 a barrel, September 7th, 27, 27th, 2023. Um, so it's just, it's the same sort of, um, prognostication and, uh, these micro head, this is more on a micro scale related to oil prices, but they're, they're equally wrong and trying to capture clicks on their website or whatever. These, these experts don't know the, I mean, this is all predating the, you know, the, um, the Israeli, uh, Hamas deal. Um, so the, the, none of these particular individuals can, can accurately predict a microeconomic event, let alone a macroeconomic event as the bottom. Yeah. Line. This is the article from Carlson. Uh, it's from October 27th. It's called the crash callers won't save you. This is a business insider article on, uh, John Hussman, who's a, a, a historic perma bear. He says every historical indicator Hussman is looking at is suggesting that the stock market is wildly overvalued and headed for a period of lousy returns. How lousy? John Hussman thinks there's a good chance the stock market will soon crash 40 to 50%. And even if the market doesn't crash, Hussman thinks stocks are priced to produce returns of only a couple percentage points per year over the next decade, far below the 7% inflation adjusted long-term return that everyone is used to and the double-digit returns for the last few years. And then Carlson says, sounds scary, right? 
the prospects of 40 50 to 50% crash or minuscule returns going forward wouldn't be much fun for stock market investors. But here's the problem with that prediction. The piece was written in the summer of 2013. Since then, the S&P 500 is up more than 230% or 12.8% on an annualized basis. Um, yeah, so this is uh, basically these, these calls for uh, crashes don't happen at the top. They never happen at the top. And so when you see these types of headlines, it's a pretty good indicator that uh, we're near or at a bottom. And, uh, and so prospective returns going forward are, are, are likely to be good. I mean, I think, if you, I think the be- best indicator of that is CNN's Fear and Greed Index. And, uh, and it's currently, even after a, a pretty good uh, market over the last week, we're still in, in strongly in fear territory. And so uh, just remember when you're reading those particular headlines or articles, it's probably not something that um, somebody's saying right at the top of a market. It's, it's towards the bottom. Yep. So here, I'm going to close this podcast with, I found there's, this is not market related, but this is uh, something I found interesting. It's, or a few topics I found interesting. Um, and you can stew on this yourself. But anyway, Bill Belichick's career NFL record when Tom Brady doesn't start at quarterback is 81 and 95. Um, I wonder what you could say about Sean Payton too. I mean, it's probably similar. So you, you, your career can get made by a good quarterback. Um, and that's certainly the case with Belichick. Trump is ahead in five of six swing states. This is from the New York Times this week. It's been all over the news. Trump's leading by 10% um, in Nevada, 5% in, in Arizona, 4% in Pennsylvania, 6% in Georgia, 5% in Michigan, and Biden is up by 2% in Wisconsin. A year ago today, or this is November 7th, a year ago was when the FTX collapse happened. Um, a competitor, this is from uh, Sam Bankman-Fried posting on Twitter, he's already, he already got convicted. So the, ju- the judicial system kind of moved pretty rapidly. And that's in this situation. Um, it's this tweet is a competitor is trying to go after us with false rumors. FTX is fine, period. Assets are fine, period. So that lo and behold, that didn't happen. And then lastly, uh, we talked about, uh, Ray Dalio, the, the, uh, chairman of Bridgewater, which is a, runs a, a had a very successful, still has a very successful hedge fund. They run an all-weather strategy, which is a black box strategy. They don't disclose their strategy or what have you, but they've provided very steady returns for a long period of time, which in and of itself is kind of suspect. But this book um, went through the methodology that they have to rank their employees on uh, believability, in quotes. Um, and the, and the, 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 the long and short of this, this I'm not, not going to read this verbatim, but essentially, they had a believability scale, and it ranked employees. And there were some employees that were ranked ahead of Ray Dalio in this sort of methodology. And he went ahead and changed the algorithm so that he would be automatically he would automatically supersede any um, rankings that were done internally at Bridgewater. Um, so anyway, just interesting tidbits in terms of the um, the idiocy in that particular firm. Um, but uh, as always, guys, it's oh, it's a pleasure for uh, to produce this podcast for you guys. Um, if you enjoy this, please share it with your friends and family, and give it uh, five stars. And otherwise, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lanyap. 
This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.